0: So let me, ask you, let me ask you a very pointed question. How far will you go in following Jesus? We sing the song, and we know how it goes, but how far will you go in following Jesus? You see, Billy Graham, he said, salvation is free, but discipleship costs everything that we have. See, Jesus demands that his disciples place him over the most legitimate and precious of human concerns. Even our own shelter, even our own families, as well as cultural expectations. I want to read in Matthew chapter 8. And if you have your Bible and would turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. I do hope you bring your Bible um, or your... um, you know, Bible on your smartphone or whatever you use to read the word. But bring your Bibles and let's, let's look together in God's word. We've been um, talking about discipleship in this series. And, um, you know, if, if we're going to follow Jesus and if we're going to learn from his teachings, then we got to know what he said. And so we've been studying that. And, and um, I want to read in chapter 8 of Matthew, beginning in verse 18. I just want to read five verses. Verse 18 says now when Jesus saw a crowd around him he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea then a scribe came and said to him teacher I will follow you wherever you go and Jesus said to him the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests but the son of God son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. Loving Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the fact that you gave us your word. And Father, we know and we can understand you better through your word. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit even now would speak to us. Speak to our hearts, Father, the truth that you desire for us. And God, I pray that you would just do all things according to your timing, according to your word, according to your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, some people think that in Matthew 8 and 9, they think of it in terms of Jesus. Doing miracles, I mean, he did heal a man of leprosy. He he healed a, a centurion's uh, servant due to the remarkable faith of the centurion. He also healed others, including Simon Peter's mother-in-law. Now add to that later, Jesus calmed a storm while he and his disciples were out on the Sea of Galilee. And when they arrived in, in, on the land, um, there, Jesus healed two. Uh, demon-possessed people there. And then he also commanded a miracle with uh, some demons and and a a herd of swine, a a herd of pigs. And he also performed other miracles in chapter 9. But two things were happening. Two things were happening as all these miracles were going on. The first one is that crowds were becoming increasingly enthusiastic about Jesus. And secondly, the religious leaders were growing increasingly uncomfortable with what Jesus was doing and who he claimed to be. So Jesus is becoming popular because of all of the miracles that that people are seeing him do. See, Jesus had left the crowds earlier in Matthew 5 when he he pulled his his, uh, disciples aside and began to teach them in in chapters 5-8 through and what we know as the Sermon on the Mount called his disciples together and was, was teaching them and we, we have been focused on that in, the, in these previous messages in our sermon series but now when Jesus came down off the mountain he was met by large crowds and again he took his disciples away from the crowds you know many pastors they dream about preaching to large congregations and crowds of people and in sanctuaries that are full of people And some people get to do that. And there's a place for ministering to large groups of people. But Jesus had another agenda for his disciples because more personalized instruction was needed. You see, these followers were foundational people for the future. (laughs) But listen. Preparing people to live and serve effectively in the future is important business. It's important business today. Preparing people to live and serve effectively in the future. Listen, we have no idea what this country is going to look like in the next 30 years. We better be raising up people that love Christ. And know what God's word says. And are able to lead others in that. See, preparing people to live and serve effectively in the future is important business. Whether it's a large group setting or a more personal one. See, you would think that the Lord had reserved some, you know, the great multitudes when he wanted to give that great sermon that he's been sitting on. You know? But you don't find that in a single instance. The greatest sermon that we ever see preached by Jesus on the new birth was to one man, an audience of one, in John chapter 3, Nicodemus. The greatest sermon that we hear Jesus preach on spiritual worship is in John chapter 4, to a single Samaritan woman. Not the big crowds. To one person. See, the invitations of the Lord are always personal. They're always personal. I mean, in Revelation 3, he says, If anyone hears my voice. If anyone hears my voice. See, God doesn't look upon us as, as oceans full or, or buckets full or, 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 or multitudes or even gobs. But the Lord looks on us as you, as you, and as you. Individual people whom he dearly loves. And listen, he calls you by name. He knows us by name. He knows all about you. And he speaks to your heart. Because he's God. He's God. See, Jesus knew that it was time to move away from the crowds. And some folks were curious about him. But generally, they were more fascinated with his miracles. I mean, come on, do that bread thing again. You know, I'm hungry. Come on, feed me. Do all of these things that you do for other people. Do it for me. I want to follow you because I like those miracles. But before Jesus could board the boat, two people stopped him. That happened more than once in Jesus' life, where he was on his way to do something and there was what we might call an interruption. But understand this, our Lord sets the appointments, And ministry opportunities happen regardless of what our schedule is or what our plans are. It's going to be on the way to go do something that you're going to encounter a lost person to share Jesus with. See, this morning what I want you to understand is that Jesus wants you to acknowledge him as your first priority. As your first priority. See, the first person to stop Jesus was a teacher of the law. He was a scribe. And this prominent person appeared to make the necessary commitment. What does he say there in verse 19? He says, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Oh man, that sounds good, doesn't it? Hey, Jesus, we got a live one over here. And guess what? He's a scribe. Oh, man, they were excited about that. One of the scribes is wanting to follow Jesus. Oh, man, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Oh, man. I mean, the scribes, they were the authorities in the law. The scribes were the ones who had the official sanction. In the Pharisees. The scribes were qualified by Jewish authority to teach. The scribes were highly educated. They were loyal to the system. And they were the teachers. They weren't the follower of teachers. They were the teachers. And the scribes, in a general sense, were hostile towards Jesus. And you have one coming to him and saying, Teacher, I will follow you. Wherever you go, they even joined the Pharisees in their antagonism and and opposition. (laughs) So when you got a scribe, you got a live one on. I mean, look here. For Jesus, he's way too eager, he's way too ready, he's too complete in all of his offer here. He's like a seed that, that falls on stony ground and it doesn't have any roots. And when the, 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 the sun comes up and it, it begins to, to burn it, it has no roots so that it can keep nourishment. And the blazing sun causes it to pay the price that has to be paid. You see, this man never understood. He never understood the basic principle of discipleship. Which is self denial, sacrifice, and wait for it, suffering. Self denial, sacrifice, and suffering. If you want to follow Jesus, that's what it's about. Self denial, sacrifice, and suffering. See, I will go unconditionally, continuously to follow you wherever you go. You got me for good, Lord. I mean, what a tremendous statement of dedication, of permanent commitment. And I'm sure the scribe thought Jesus was the greatest teacher he'd ever heard. I mean, they all marveled at him. I'm sure that when he saw these miracles, he said, hey, this is of God, guys. This is of God. This is something else, man. This guy's unbelievable. Can you imagine? I mean, I want to get close to this guy, man. Wherever this guy is going, that's where I want to go because he is irresistible. Now, if this guy showed up today, you know what we'd say? Hey, great. Come join us. Be a part of us. Yes, we need you. We're real eager to do that. But notice, Jesus wasn't so eager. Listen to what he said to him. I mean, what a strange statement. The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Huh? What's he saying? I mean, where did the foxes and the birds of the air come in? I mean, I just said I will follow you wherever you go. But what we have here is we have a proverbial statement. And it simply means this. The basic comforts of life that even wild animals have, I don't have. The basic comforts of life that even the wild animals have, I don't have. So Jesus hit him with it. He said, I want you to know one thing. You're not going to get any comfort out of this. You're not going to get any comfort out of this if you follow me. Oh, but we're all about the comfort. In my mind, generally, there's a disconnect between what Jesus says here ...and the church in America. Think about this. I mean, just look at what happens. You know what the next verse says about this man? Absolutely nothing. Nothing. You know why? Because he isn't around. Somewhere in the white space in between verse 20 and 21, he left... He's gone, vanished. Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Gone. See, the Lord blasted him right where he was. He called it out, and he's gone. But you see, Jesus is different. He's different than we are. Because we try to sugarcoat everything. We try to make sure everybody's just content and everybody's satisfied and everybody's comfortable. And we want to make it so that everybody can get in as easy as possible. But he makes it so hard to keep them out unless they have a genuine commitment. See, most people want personal comfort. We want to do our own thing. We want to have our cake and we want to eat it too. We just want to add Jesus to our already established life pattern. But you need to understand something. He refuses these types. He refuses them. I don't know about you, but that's shocking to me. Because Jesus wants us to have him to have first place, first priority in our lives. That means every day. Then he goes on and he tells him that the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And this is the first time Jesus used the word Son of Man to describe himself. But it's one of his favorite ways of describing himself because he used it over 80 times in the Gospels. The Son of Man. And, you know, a scribe of that time, of that day, would have known what the Old Testament says about that and what is also written in what we call extra-biblical writings or those those writings outside of the Bible. They would know what that Son of Man signifies. See, it appears to have been Jesus' favorite way. But its usage here in Matthew also links Jesus to the suffering servant. If you look back up in verse 17... This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. See, the rich meanings here of son of man, suffering servant, Messiah, are all fertile ground for further study. But Jesus' use of the phrase son of man gave the scribe more to think about. You see, discipleship, it demands... Discipline. Discipleship demands discipline and is costly to all who would follow Jesus. On another occasion, when Jesus was teaching about the meaning of following him, he told others to count the cost. See, the scribe may have been a person who was tempted with worldly ease and wealth and influence, prestige, And Jesus Christ knows that to follow him is going to cost this man everything. All of that. He's not going to be able to follow Jesus Christ as his Lord and still be respected as a scribe amongst his friends. Because if you follow me, you're saying no to them. See, the Lord Jesus is kind and loving enough to tell that to the man before he commits. (laughs) My son, if you follow me, you'll lose everything in the eyes of the world. But you'll gain everything in God. But make sure you know what you're doing before you make the commitment to me. See, Jesus makes it clear to us that he will accept nothing. No one. To be his followers that aim at worldly advantages. Folks, we must aim for his kingdom, for his heaven. That's what we gain. Nothing here. Nothing here. See, people can be obsessed and filled with pride about the things of the world, including a place to lay their heads. Oh, yeah, we love our homes. And we keep adding to them and adding to them. We accommodate ourselves easily to our culture. And we forget how the story of Jesus' life began in a borrowed stable. And it ended in a borrowed tomb. See, when we commit to follow Jesus, we commit ourselves to the one who lived well, but simply I mean, maybe we ought to try to live a little more modestly so that we can be a blessing and help others live better. Jesus wants us to count the cost of discipleship, but understand the right priority here. Look at verse 21. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. I mean, his words here, um, they don't teach us to disrespect or to dishonor our parents. I mean, that's one of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. He's not saying to dishonor them by not burying them. I mean, later in Matthew 15, Jesus talked about the importance of honoring one's father and mother. He didn't come to trash the Ten Commandments. He came to... To fill them full with meaning. You see the second person here. To stop Jesus. Is identified as another disciple. And that may mean both of these people. Who stopped Jesus were disciples. Or it could simply mean that a second person. Was in the broad group that was following him. As the disciples but maybe was not one of the apostles as we know. Regardless, he too expressed his commitment to Jesus. But it wasn't quite as impulsive or decisive. Because he said, Lord, permit me to go and bury my father. See, this disciple is an example of a person who had the wrong thing in the first place. The wrong thing in the first place in his life. See, this man would have been, not have been following Jesus if his father had died that day. He wouldn't have been there. John MacArthur brings out in his commentary that this phrase is a Middle Eastern phrase that people sometimes even use today. And that it, what it means is that the man wanted to wait around until the day when his father finally passed away. And then, after he received his inheritance then he would be willing to follow Jesus. See, this man was not in grief. He was in waiting. <laughs> he wanted to defer to a later date, a more convenient time. He saw enough in Jesus to want to follow him. But his commitment was weak. He was a follower, but he wanted to wait to make a deeper commitment after he had dealt with other interests. I want to keep my options open, Jesus. I mean, you know, when dad passes, I may get this huge inheritance. I mean, Jesus' response had nothing to do with dishonoring his parents. But he calls on the man to have the right priority and to stop using good-sounding excuses instead of following him. See, Jesus knew that this man's loyalty and his priority were wrong if he wanted to be Jesus' disciple. I mean, Jesus' response was twofold. He said, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Follow me and let the, the dead bury their own dead. And the first command was the simplest plan of salvation that we have. Follow me. Jesus said, follow me. To be a disciple of Jesus... To be a disciple of Jesus, you must be a follower of Jesus. See, most of the time, we want to get in first in line, but Jesus says to get in line behind me. I mean, follow the leader may be a childhood game, but it's the way to salvation to follow Jesus. He says, let the dead bury their dead. Let them bury their own dead. The normal practice in the first century was to bury someone who passed away the same day because they didn't do embalming. They They would bury them the same day that they died. And doing that was viewed as a sacred responsibility to the family. The last great thing they could do for their parents was to see to their burial. But look, this is a proverb just like the other one was. About the foxes and the birds. And this one meant. Look. The first one meant. I don't have any personal comforts. This one means. Let spiritually dead people bury their dead. Let the secular world take care of the secular world. You've been called to the kingdom of God. You see the difference. What he's saying is. You're functioning at the wrong level. Let the system take care of the system. You follow me. That's exactly what he is saying. He's not saying Christians are forbidden to go to funerals. He's not saying that if you're a Christian, you're not supposed to uh, make sure your father and mother get buried. It's a proverb, and what it means is the world's passing affairs. The coming and going of people, the passing of fortunes from one to another is all part of the world's system. You're called to the living kingdom. Go and preach the kingdom. Go and preach the kingdom. See, the men's priorities are all fouled up. These secular affairs, they belong to the people who are secular. I mean, what does the Bible say to this man that he did? It's not there either. Somewhere between um, verse 22 and 23 in the white, he left. Never to be seen again, never to be heard from again. He disappeared. Why? Why? Because personal possessions were a big thing to him. He had waited a long time for his piece of the action. He wasn't bailing out now. No, he liked the thrill and the charisma and the wonder and the miracles. This was fabulous stuff and he wanted to get in on the bandwagon, but there was no commitment there. He wanted his money. See, Jesus saw something alive and promising in this man. But he was telling him, this is your moment to follow me. He says that to each one of us. This is your moment to follow me. See, those who follow Jesus have a different priority. We have a different mission. What I'm saying is all people have the same concern, same basic concern in things. We want to know about our housing, our family, our work, our volunteer opportunities, our recreation, our politics, and our lifestyle. I mean, there's a myriad of things, a whole bunch of things that people deal with on a daily basis. We, as well as others around us, will be positively impacted by a wholehearted commitment to Jesus Christ. How will they see what it looks like to be all in with Christ if they don't see it in you? How will they know? Because they're wrapped up in the world system. Not his kingdom system. The world system that is destined to pass away. He says you Follow me. Follow me. See, we also have to face attention. I'm about done. We also have to face attention about how we live life. I mean, the tension is not necessarily bad, but it keeps us aware that being a disciple of Christ is a full time effort. I mean, you may wrestle with watching a football game. Overdoing your Bible study. You may try to do both at the same time. You're not really going to be all in with either. You may wrestle with the best ways to use your time and your money. See, life has its choices. But we need to understand the importance of a radical and dynamic commitment to Christ because that is what God desires and what we truly need. We need to be all in with Christ. That's what discipleship is about. Following Jesus. See, that commitment then becomes the filter Through which we live. Dealing in the big and the small issues of life. Because life is complex. But some things can be simplified once the priority is realized. Once you've determined in your heart that no matter what, you're going to follow Christ, the rest of these priorities seem, seem to fall into place. But know this, it's like Bishop Ryle said, take this, take this to heart. Bishop Ryle said, the saddest road to hell is the road that runs under the pulpit, past the Bible, and through the middle of warnings and invitations. I hope you hear what the Spirit of God is saying today. You can live, each one of us can live with a wholehearted commitment to Christ that pleases God, that strengthens others and brings satisfaction to your soul. But you gotta live with purpose. The purpose of following Christ. And if you follow Christ, It's going to involve self-denial, sacrifice, and suffering. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for our time this morning in your word and in worship. Lord, I want to thank you for the music this morning. The beauty of it still lingers in our ears, in our hearts. We do pray, Lord, that you would bring to bear upon our lives your truth. Make us people that know how to cut the cord to the world system. And let the secular world take care of the secular world. But, Father, help us to live in the eternal Help us to go and preach the kingdom. Help us to know your priorities. Father, give us the willingness to give up everything that we have. Knowing full well that you may give back to us more than we've ever dreamed of having. Knowing that it's not what we have, but it's the attitude. It's the attitude we have towards what we have. God, may there be no disciples here who walk away from Christ because of personal comfort, because of personal possessions, or because of personal relationships. But Father, may we be contemplating how your Spirit is speaking to each one of us and how it applies to our lives and how we can live in your kingdom for you. Lord, thank you for your word. Guide us. In this time of response, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You know, we come to this part of our service where it's a time to respond. I mean, you've heard God's Word. What is the Spirit saying to you? Because, you know, half-hearted commitment doesn't do it for Jesus. We've seen that. But wherever you are, I was talking to somebody this week and they said, you know, we can have as much of Jesus as we desire. That's right. The problem is, most of the time we don't desire much of him. Probably because his word is hard. And it's easier to follow the world. But he calls us to something greater than this world. He calls us to something greater than any of us. He invites us to be a part of his kingdom work. And he's inviting you today. Just as he said, follow me. This is your moment to follow me. Whatever the Holy Spirit is putting on your heart. Maybe you've never acknowledged Christ as your Savior. I want to encourage you to do that this morning. Maybe you're a believer and you're not plugged in anywhere. This would be a good church home. Maybe you're here and you sense God is doing something and calling you beyond where you are. Maybe you're not even sure what it is. Respond in faith. Respond to him in faith. Whatever it is, that the Holy Spirit is putting on your heart, this is your time to respond to him. Would you do that? Would you get up and come and make a public commitment of your life? Would you come and cry out to the Lord? Maybe there's a need in your life. Maybe there's something that that, that you want to pray about. Whatever he's putting on your heart, you come.